0: Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in, and the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes, TJ Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win. It. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Got it. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony <laughs> oh, oh, Denies him at the rim. Harris LeVert, people don't realize how good he really is. LeVert, skies high for the jam. Stevenson, oh, passes, it passes it in into Savonis for the basket.
1: Jackson turns, fires, and hits. Oh, Miles wow.
2: Turner, bringing that smoke. He flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits. hits, hits. This is TJ McConnell,
0: and you're listening to setting the
3: pace yeah. pacer nation what is going on welcome back to another episode of setting the pace i'm your host alex golden i'm joined today by the one and only michael j facci facci happy christmas week to you man
1: hey happy christmas excited to see uh the family but man i am making sure to dodge covid like no other it is right heating up around here and uh I'm just hoping to be able to go home for the holidays. That's all. Yeah,
3: just be safe, everybody. Uh, whatever your belief system is, I'm not going to get into that, but just be safe. And I hope you guys have a happy holidays and a safe, safe travels if you're driving. But we got some mailbag questions, Fachi. And uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about that win against the Pistons, but Pacers took care of business. Rick Carlisle's back. And so. Uh, Our Tuesday game, the one that I think you were complaining about on social media about them taking it off TNT, is now back back on TNT. So uh, we'll get to see the Pacers play the Miami Heat on TNT on Tuesday night. So uh, keep your eyes up for that. But, Fauci, like I said, we got Twitter questions here, mailbag questions, and they're from all different sources of social media. But let's start with Twitter first. Samuel Colbertson is number one. He said, do you think Carlisle and Pritchard are just saying what we want to hear because we're not playing good? Like, we had a hard practice or we watched extra tape. Honestly, have we seen any different results? I kind of think not. Uh, not much has changed there. Just saying these things to appease us. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, of course, they need to say the right thing, but I think they're running out of things to say. I mean, we're starting to ask them repeatedly at the time, at the end of the games, the players, you know, what happened over there? And they're just basically like, you know, we got to execute better. You know, we got to do this. We got to you know, we got to respond earlier on. They're running out of things to say. So there's only oh, so much film you can watch, only so many practices that you can execute to the max. But basically, if you're only going to give 80% or 90%, you're still going to come up short. That's what we're seeing in the end of the fourth quarter. Matter, matter of fact, is this team, they can't close. The one thing I've seen, the defense has tightened up from the beginning of the year. I'll give them that. But We don't have a closer, and uh, I think it shows.
3: Well, I, I don't think that they're just saying it to appease fans. I mean, I really think they are putting an extra film, and they are actually having hard practices now that they're home. But it doesn't mean it's going to change the result because you still have to go put it out there on the court yep. what you did in practice and in the film room. Film room. So you know, this team they can they can figure out all the answers they you know that they have uh, to why they can't close these games out or why they can't win these games. But if they can't go out there and change it physically or do anything different about it, then you know, I don't think it's just saying it to say it, but I do get your frustration because you know it's like you just feel like you're just hearing a pile of excuses uh line up here. And it's just like, come on, let's 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 see this team be something different. But um, you know, I, I think that, like you said, Fachi, if they had close some games out, we wouldn't really care about this. But because we can't win games, especially close ones, it's just getting more frustrating. And then losing to the Milwaukee Bucks without freaking Giannis and Chris Middleton, just a just a frustration, uh, just a frustrating game to watch, Foch.
1: Losing by 15. They had seven players out. Any way you, you want to chalk it up, it's an embarrassment.
3: Yeah, well, let's move on. Question number two from Kevin Cheney. He said, Everyone knows Thad Young is unhappy in San Antonio. Would a reunion make sense with that? And would San Antonio be possibly interested in one of our bigs?
1: Like I would love a, a Thad reunion, but at what cost? I mean, when you're mentioning one of our bigs, I'm not looking to trade like Miles Turner for Thad Young and and you know a throw-in. I mean, of course they would honestly want one of our I would say three bigs because I feel like even Goga would be appealing in a, in some type of swap for for Thad. Whether you were including Lamb or whatever, but then again, I don't want to just give up on Goga for you know half a season of Thad Young. So. Um, I think that Thad is unhappy there. I think he could very well be bought out if they can't reach a deal. Uh, and I think he'll have a bunch of suitors there. But I, for whatever reason, they don't want to just, like, trade him just to trade him. So clearly they're going to wait and see what the right move is. I don't want to give up one of our bigs for Thad. At this point, he can't save the season.
3: Yeah, no, I'm not giving up any of our bigs for Thad Young, especially I wouldn't want to do that to Thad because, look, um, this is a Pacers team that's 13 in the Eastern Conference even if you do bring him back, like what, what are the realistic chances of you getting into the playoffs? Like, I don't think he increases their playoff chances that much. He probably takes Tory Craig's minutes, who's already lost his minutes to O'Shea Bursett recently. So it's like, where would that young even fit? Would he even really get significant playing time? I don't know. Um, I would like to think so, but it's just one of those things where if the Pacers were to trade for Thad Young, um, like you said, it would probably be a minor minor move centered around Lamb's salary and, and some other kind of filler. Um, but I'm not giving up a first-round pick for him at, by any any stretch. I just think that's silly. Uh, he's, he needs to be traded to a team where he's going to be like that eighth or ninth man in the playoffs and can actually get a legit run. Like I think Phoenix makes a lot of sense for him because I feel like he could play some small ball five, but has no no like traction here for me with the Pacers.
1: No, I don't think so either. It's one of those, like, it'd be a feel-good story, but it would have been way more helpful to have Thad in the beginning of the season where he could have really had an impact on the team than right now thinking that he's going to be able to solve the issues we have going on.
3: Absolutely. Let's move on. Question number three. This comes from Eric Winger. He said, thanks for doing the pie, guys. A regular listener here. Uh, Just thinking of guys around the league that I like in trades, what do you guys think of Killian Hayes from Detroit? Just someone I feel like could be pretty good in a trade I don't know how the Pistons view him.
1: I think Killian's definitely a, a very young, promising prospect. I mean, I think he's also a project. Uh, so I'd say project over prospect. Um, but I don't think they're ready to give up on him yet. I, I think drafting Cade Cunningham kind of spells that this is probably an experiment for maybe like two seasons, see how it works. I'd be intrigued if the price was right, but being the the former you know, seventh overall pick who's hurt most of his rookie year, I don't think they're willing to just like, Trade him for you know not that big of a deal, uh, but maybe if there was a, a a deal where you could work him in with Jeremy Grant, that would be very interesting. However, I don't see the Pacers going for Killian Hayes at this point.
3: Yeah, Killian Hayes to me is a guy that doesn't really help this team. Just a thirty-one percent three-point shooter, and he's really not even that good from two. He's only a thirty-five percent two-point shooter as well, averaging just six points a game, one steal a game. I mean, there's potential there. I, I think you know seeing him a little bit in that game against the Pistons on Thursday, you might've been intrigued somewhat, but at the end of the day, I just, Killian Hayes is not a guy that made either of Fauci and I's top 10 list. Wasn't really even in our honorable mentions. So I don't feel like one, he's someone we have on our radar or number two, someone that I think Detroit's ready to give up on yet. I mean, at the right cost, sure. Anybody's ready, easy, easy to move, right. For the right cost. Cause he's not a guy that's, you know, really changing the way the Pistons record is, but Young prospect. I know a lot of people were high on him coming draft day a couple of years ago, but yeah, I mean, uh, he's okay. I don't, I don't dislike him, but I don't love his game, Faji.
1: No, I don't. I think it's going to take a while for him to really get it going. And I think him missing most of his rookie year. Was it beneficial? And now, you know, having Kate Cunningham over there doesn't seem like he'll ever probably reach his full potential there. But he is super young. I think he's only like twenty years old. And yeah, this is his second year, so uh, I don't want to write him off as a bust. But I'm sure that's someone who could probably excel in a different environment.
3: Yeah, if the Pacers are trying to rebuild on the fly, you know, or whatever they called it, I just, I just don't think this is the type of player that you invest uh, in, in something significantly big because i think that's what it would take to get him away from detroit let's move on question number four comes from aaron m he said after hearing herb simon talk about this team do you think that was gm speak or does he actually believe this little team is something to be proud of the players look defeated on the bench and i would not be surprised if many of them actually do one out
1: i think this is 100 herb simon and not kevin pritchard or chad buchanan i think this is Herb seeming very out of touch with the fan base, and it showed. I mean, there's nothing here on the, on the court to be proud of at this time other than this is a great group of human beings, but that doesn't translate to wins or anything else other than being proud of. I mean, yeah, we've, we've talked about it. great group of guys, but at the end of the day, what does that really get you?
3: How condescending is it to call this a little team? Like, I'm not saying very that Herb's – much. Like, I'm not saying Herb actually truly probably meant it in the way that he said it. Because he is 87 years old, he's an older guy. That generation talks different than our generation. Probably just said little team, just whatever, just whatever. But it just sounds so condescending. And to say that he's proud of the team that Kevin Pritchard's put together, like Kevin Pritchard has literally said, I want to rebuild. Like Kevin Pritchard doesn't even really truly believe in this team, if you if you were to ask me. I'm not saying I know anything from Kevin's vantage point, but the fact that Kevin Pritchard had to go and backtrack what he said and say that all of his players are stars. Come on, give me a break. I know, that was was a bad look. (laughs) They're not stars. The only one that has any type of gripe would be DeMontis Sabonis, who, yes, was upset about that. Um, But regardless, I mean, he made that clear. He went and apologized, whatever it was. He made it right. But I think the only reason Herb Simon even remotely had this media availability with all these five reporters that were there was strictly because he heard the word rebuild and immediately, he thought of OKC tanking and trust the process with Philadelphia. That's not what he likes. He wants to build on the go. So he wants to he wants to continue to try and win games, which I don't have a problem with because we know this franchise is never going to fully go into full rebuild mode. But I think the way the phrasing was brought out in that athletic report caused Herb Simon to say, hey, well, this isn't a fire, so we're, we're not giving up on all of our guys. You can't just have them for pennies on the dollar. No. If a trade's there, we'll make it. If not, we're not going to force something. So whether you like that or not, I mean, I, I was just upset that he called this team a hell of a team. Like, when he said that, I was so surprised, and the fact that he actually said um, – that he was like proud of his little team and he called TJ McConnell little McConnell. Like it, it, all the things that he said rubbed me the wrong way. It wasn't the fact that he said, I don't want to rebuild. Um, Everything else is what I got frustrated no, with much. It
1: was just co- being completely out of touch. I mean, even saying like, sure. I mean, we, we can attract talent over here. Maybe not. Oh, the top that was or, so stupid. Top three or four guys. It's like, Oh my God, stop it. If you think it's just four guys, You're completely wrong. So, I mean, whatever it was across the board, he just kept missing the point uh, so many times that it was a rough look. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, another day and uh, the news that happened last week.
3: Yeah, absolutely. We'll move on from that. Question number five comes from Zachary Barnett. At the end of the day, it appears this team isn't going to rebuild. So how long before trades are made, if at
1: all? Honestly, I don't see them making a trade until probably close to the, the trade deadline. It's actually at this point only roughly six weeks away. I believe it's February 10th. Uh, yeah. I do uh, very much think this team needs some help, especially at, at point guard. So I think they just want to see, you know, TJ Warren back out there, which is expected to be in January and then take it from there.
3: Yeah. And, and you know, I think Zach's asking this question based off what Herb, Herb Simon said. And, uh, you know, I, I, I get... I just kind of just said I said the answer a little bit by saying Herb Herb didn't say he wasn't against trades right. Carlisle never said trade, trades won't happen. He said trades can happen. That's what we know. And Pritchard kind of said the same thing. So no, they're not going full rebuild mode. But I I, I still think they're going to be open to trading players, especially when you have a guy like Miles Turner come out and basically say, you know, uh, I won't roll clarity. I mean, it, it took him how many? Different steps to get to that point of just asking for role clarity. If all Miles Turner wanted was role clarity, why didn't he have that conversation behind closed doors? Why did he go to the media about it? Why did he go on three different podcasts to talk about it? It's because Miles Turner wants to be noticed for the fact that he doesn't like his role. That's the only reason Miles Turner's doing it. Uh, he might love Indiana, but we've heard that from a lot of people. We've heard Paul George say we've said we've heard Victor Lodipo say it. You know, I, I'm not saying Miles doesn't love Indiana, but at the end of the day, I just feel like between him and Sabonis, whichever one you pick, that's up for debate on on how you build this team, Fachi. But I do think there's going to be a trade made. Brian Windhorst did come out on the Hoop Collective podcast. I'm not sure if you saw this or not, but he said that he has not heard that Sabonis wants out like some have reported. So he refuted that trade as well as Scott Agnes and someone else that I talked to that said those sources are not true. So it, it doesn't appear that Sabonis really wants out. According to what I've heard from you know some national some local guys, but he did say that if there's any moves to be made, first it'll be Silver, second will be Miles Turner. He does not think Sabonis gets moved. That's according to Brian winhorse So obviously, if the price is right, you do move it. But I, I do think Fachi, we are going to see some trades here. Um, but you're right, probably closer to the deadline.
1: I think so, and it's great to hear that Sabonis, you know, trade rumor, you know, disputed, you know properly by the media because if it's not coming from the top of the top like no offense to to Matt Moore um you know I question it then at that point so it's nice that look Sabonis isn't going to answer every single rumor that he's involved in he spoke on this about a week ago I don't think his his thoughts are going to change you know daily so for for now Brian Windhorst refutes it I believe it
3: yeah and it's like if I was a if I was a reporter I might ask a bonus about these trade rumors, just to get his thoughts and hear if he really does want out because you know you have a chance to ask him. But I think, as a reporter, if that's you know, if there's if every time you hear someone's name in a rumor and you go and ask them about it, they're probably going to get tired of talking to you. So okay. you have to pick and choose the questions you ask. So I get why they probably haven't addressed that. He just said the other day that he loves Indiana, wants to be here. So, um, don't think he really needs to reiterate that. But moving on, question number six this comes from DJ Davis. He said, When considering a trade. Which team has young players on the bench that have potential to be stars? Golden State, Memphis, are there any other teams worth considering?
1: Oh, for sure, with Golden State, we know. I mean, the the fact that they got Kuminga. Mm, you know, he James looked flies. good last night. Yep, Saturday. yep. Moses Moody. They got, they got some guys. I mean, the Hawks, they, they got Cam Reddish. That, yep. you know, has been very intriguing. Jalen Johnson, I strongly believe in. Uh, I'm going to pronounce his last name wrong, but Onyeka Okungu. I <laughs> uh, I probably pronounced it wrong.
3: I think it's like a, a Kangwu. Let, let me uh, look it up. Yeah, out.
1: not not one hundred percent sure, but I know that he was like the, <laughs> the sixth overall pick last year or a couple years ago, and um, you know didn't really get to show it his rookie year. They even have Sharif Cooper front of the show, but uh, anyway, uh, Charlotte they got P.J. Washington, James Booknight, the Spurs. You know Dejounte Murray still still young. Keldon Johnson, my boy, Devin Vassell, uh, Joshua Primo. They, they got young talent over there. So those are a few of the teams I would say have some young, intriguing pieces.
3: Yeah, we did kind of hit on this a little bit when we talked about players that we would like to trade for. I threw out, and I've done this several times, so I'm just a broken record now. But Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin are two guys that I like from New York. I don't know if Fauci's as high on those two players as I am. I still think P.J. Washington is an interesting guy that maybe you could look at from Charlotte. Um, uh, and Bernie Simons is the guy me and Fachi both liked as well. Yep, yep. Uh, I think Sacramento's another team to keep an eye on as well. Tyrese Halliburton or Davion Mitchell, if you can maybe pry one of those guys away. But other than that, I don't know what other teams have a lot of young guys that are available. Orlando does have some interesting pieces there with RJ Hampton. Um, you could also look at Okiki there, who just got drafted a few years ago when he was injured, uh, straight out of there. And I mean, I'm curious what the availability of Jonathan Isaac might be. Uh, he's been injury prone, but you know, when healthy, he could be a really good player. So I'm, I'm just – I'm curious there to see what they think of that. But ultimately, I just don't know if the Pacers want to invest too much in, in a lot of young players because if they're trying to build on the go, that does not seem like the route to go, which is trade for a guy that – or a player or two that, you know, it's going to take a couple of years to develop them.
1: Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, that that's the thing is, like, I think as the fan base wants them to really find those next – diamond in the roughs but for the pacers i mean especially you know herb simon in particular wants to keep it going Then at that point that looks like trading for someone who's more established to win now but that remains to be seen a lot will be determined over the next six weeks
3: let's take a quick break fachi when we come back we'll finish the rest of these mailbag questions here on twitter
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: All right, Fachi, we are back, and the next question comes from DKF. He said, in a business that sells hope, what keeps you watching a team with no hope in winning a championship?
1: It's my inner fandom. It's just too strong. My love for the Pacers is just, just, it comes out every single day. I mean, win, lose, I'm always going to support this team. Of course, the wins are so much better. I mean, just like I've mentioned, that extra pep in the step the next day after a Pacers win. But, um, you know, this year there hasn't been uh, too many of those moments. So I feel like the, the, the belief in Chris Duarte and Isaiah Jackson has me thinking like, man, we got to get these guys more playing time. I really want to see these guys develop. So, you know, at that point, I always try to find a glass half full approach and look if the Pacers aren't going to make the playoffs. They're heading towards arguably their best draft pick in a long, long time. Yeah,
3: and I mean, I understand winning a championship is the ultimate goal that every fan base wants, but every single season, 29 teams are disappointed. Every 29 fan bases are disappointed because their team does not win a championship. And you can probably look up and down the NBA. There's more teams than the Pacers that have just not won a championship with their current squad or or with their franchise. But with that being said, the Pacers have made multiple Eastern Conference Finals, and they made the NBA Finals one time. So I think the fact that we've seen them actually get there before, we've seen them on the brink of getting there, going to game sevens against the teams that actually won the Finals that year, it gives you just a glimmer of hope. Man, if the ball just bounced our way a couple different times, could we have been that team to be in the NBA Finals? Possibly win a championship, I get it. So many people want to call the NBA rigged. And I I hear that argument brought up a lot like, oh, it's rigged. The referees are terrible, blah, blah, blah. Look, it it might be a little bit whatever you want to believe. I just feel like at the end of the day, basketball is basketball. And when the Pacers are at their best and when they're competing in the Eastern Conference for the playoffs, it is an incredibly fun experience. So that is why I have hope, um, you know. But right now, I don't have a lot of hope in this franchise right now based on, the players they have on the roster and the way they've just not been able to put to put things together to get back on a winning track. But um, I, I do think there are players on this roster that if you've got other guys around them, you could look at a team that might be able to win a couple rounds in the playoffs, Fauci.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely the talents there. It's just the fact that we're missing our leading scorer for, you know, for a full year now, TJ Warren. So you had in there, I mean, look, we've seen the Pacers have been in so many games, course that's worth nothing in the end but it shows like it's not a terrible team they're just like uh, an ingredient or two away from being a playoff team and just like you mentioned those back-to-back conference finals runs I mean those are some of the best moments a lot of people have when it comes to basketball so they've been a lot of fun I, I think we will get back there one day I know the league's changed a lot since then far more teaming up but at the same point you know the Pacers. Uh, Pacers have had some real good seasons over the last twenty plus years, compared to teams like the Knicks that have just been in the gutter for twenty plus years, the Hornets that have been the same. I mean, there, there's there's a bunch of the Pelicans. I mean, there's there's a lot to be proud of. This year, it, it ain't the best though.
3: Yeah, no doubt about it, Fauci. Let's move on to question number eight from Matthew Peck. He said you can only choose one uh, one of the four here for this exercise, but he said improving the team going forward. Would you prefer that the team focuses on, A, getting shooting, getting defense, uh, getting more athleticism, or getting players with more speed? Love the pod. Keep the flags of discontent flying. Uh, I will definitely be doing that, Matthew. Do not worry about that. Um, I think it's pretty obvious with how I tweet nowadays. But, uh, Fauci, out of those four, which one are you picking if you can only pick one?
1: I would probably go with loving more athleticism. That's what I would really love to to add to this team. It seems like we're like the least athletic team year after year. Maybe it's an exaggeration. Maybe it's not. But I feel like maybe twice a year we throw an alley-oop, and I feel like we're often towards the bottom of the league in dunks. Like, there's not enough jump-out-of-your-seat special moments. Like, when you think of, like, Paul George dunking on Birdman or like one of those. Like I miss those type of like, get out of your seat. Whoa, that was crazy type of moments. We've had players be in the dunk contest, but I feel like that hasn't really translated as much like on the court during games, or at least we want it more from a team perspective, not just one player.
3: Yeah, since you picked athleticism, that would have been my first choice. I'll just go a little bit different. I think next I would pick shooting. Um, You can never have enough shooting on your team. And I feel like, with this current squad, you just you can see the limitations with not having enough shooters. And I feel like if you could get a team around, you know, Sabonis kind of being that centerpiece, or whatever you want to call it, part of the part of the centerpiece of the team's uh, core here. Uh, getting enough shooting around him would really help. I mean, Duarte is a really good shooter. Malcolm can be a really good shooter. Justin Holliday has been streaky this year, but better recently than he was at the beginning. But Levert's not a good shooter. Miles Turner, he's been a pretty good shooter this year. Uh, we've seen Keelan Martin. He's pretty bad. T.J. McConnell's a bad shooter. Torrey Craig's not a good shooter. Um, O'Shea Bursette's been better. So I just think if you could get more knockdown shooters on this team, it would really help with the ability to stretch the floor. Um, I, I don't know. What would your number two have been, Foch?
1: I mean, shooting is, is definitely something I was thinking of because the Pacers want to shoot more threes, they just do not have the shooters to do it. So yeah. I just feel like it's like stop trying to make three-point shooters out of Sabonis and McConnell. They're not three-point shooters. So uh, we, we lack the shooting. So it would obviously be great to have that.
3: Yeah, moving on to question number nine. And this is a man that Fauci professors love to last week. It's Jake Elrod. He said, if the Pacers actually follow through with a retool, what do you do with T.J. Warren? Cut your losses and see what you can get at the deadline for him and use the cap space elsewhere or try to extend him and hope that he gets back to what he was before the injury.
1: Ugh, I get worried that the trade value is just not there. And I also just feel like, could we properly use the cap space elsewhere? I really don't know. Look what we just used our cap space on. Re-signing TJ McConnell and Toy Craig. And that was it. So I just feel like the fact that he openly wants to be here and we've stood by him, Uh, you know, for I think the Pacers maybe give him like a, maybe a shorter term deal yeah. or maybe like a hometown discount. We've talked about a little bit on Twitter. What if like a, four for 60 did come up like it's not what T.J. Warren wanted or what if there's like a two years 40 million like right around that 20 million mark on a short-term deal or lastly what I would love a three-year deal and that there's a team option for year three I think that would be perfect because this is someone who's proven he can't stay healthy so best case scenario three-year deal year three non-guaranteed
3: Yeah, and I've talked about this a little bit, I think, before. But with T.J. Warren, he plays a position that this Pacers team desperately needs, a guy that can play the three and the four and defend bigger wings. And we don't have that right now. And I think that's something you've noticed with this Pacers team. When Warren's not out there, this team is just significantly worse. And obviously, we know that this foot injury is a bit of a concern. So you said he wants to be here. He's openly admitted that. I think he would take a bit of a discount to stay here because he likes this organization. He likes the state of Indiana. David West played here. David West has nothing but great things to say about it. And so it seems like a good fit. I just don't like the idea of trading a guy that has hardly any value for nothing. When you could re-sign him, if he doesn't work out, then you cut your ties later because if the contract is you know semi-movable, there's going to be guys or teams that believe in TJ Warren. The fact that Phoenix gave him up to us for nothing it's still surprising to me. But ultimately, Fauci, I just I think that he's too good of a player and his position that he plays is too important to just move him on just to be a salary dump. You bring him back, hope he gets back to what he was, and hope that he can be a part of your long-term future. If not, then you move him in a couple of years or even next year. But I think you owe yourself the, the chance to see what he can be coming back from injury. Agreed. All right, number 10, Dalton James Chubb. He said, Christmas is next weekend. What Pacers' apparel is at the top of your Christmas list?
1: Hey, Dalton, friend of the show, always nice to see you tweeting us. Appreciate the support. Um, I've been meaning to get a Chris Duarte jersey ever since he dropped twenty-seven opening night. I feel like I—I I told myself I'd get it, and then just I've just I've slacked. So I got to get that. However, I'm also a sucker for like retros '90s pacer shirts. I have a lot of those, uh, but you can never have enough.
3: Yeah. So actually, on my Christmas list. That I gave my mom. I'm hoping I get it. It's in the team shop now. But it is a men's Indiana Pacers Fanatics branded navy gold uh, block party windbreaker half zip hoodie jacket. Uh, It is pretty sick looking. It's gold on the bottom, navy on top with a golden zipper. Uh, It it looks pretty sleek. I mean, I'm not a jersey guy. I've never really been one. I'm kind of fat, so uh, (laughs) jerseys don't really look good on me. So I'm not going to try to wear something that looks bad on me. Um, if I were to get jerseys, I'd actually probably put them in a glass case and hang them in my in my office here. But ultimately, I, uh, I really want this for Christmas. I put it number one on my list. Um, I did ask for a Sabonis jersey about three years ago for Christmas. And I ended up Getting the wrong one that I asked for. And it was like one of those cheap ones that's printed on material, like not yep. the authentic ones those. because they're cheaper. And like my you know, my family was like, oh, I thought you might like this. And it was like, Yeah, the <laughs> fake that you liked it. So I know my mom's not listening to this podcast. So I've already talked to her about it anyway. It's like I'm not afraid to be open with how I feel, but uh <laughs> it was a it was not a bad gift, it just wasn't a great gift. And so I've actually got that jersey hanging out in my garage with my Pacers flag, but uh do not wear it and uh whatever but uh yeah that's at the top of my christmas list Flatchy. so uh let's move on number 11 tell the truth or tell the truth he said are the pacers better when shooting more threes or playing a little old school in the offense going through sabonis on the block
1: i'm i'm telling going through sabonis i'm telling you guys it's better when he becomes like the hub for the team like when you see him getting seven plus assists uh, getting in the paint rebounding because when you're talking about shooting more threes, we don't have the shooters. We don't, I mean, we're looking at Justin Holiday and Chris Duarte, like they're supposed to be snipers out there, but that's just not the case. So it's a small sample size, but I crunched the numbers. Pacers are five and four in games where uh, Sabonis had six assists or more. And three of those four losses came by one to two points. Mm. So, I mean, the Pacers could be eight and three, in games that he had six or more assists, and I think that's a larger sample size that you could see is winning basketball.
3: Yeah, anytime you're playing through Sabonis versus trying to force this Pacers team to be pigeonholing the shooting threes, you're going to be better. I mean, if you've watched this team, Carlisle tried to do that, he tried to make Sabonis a stretch five, he tried to make McConnell, you know, a stretch player, and it's just like, look, it just some of these guys just aren't those. We don't have enough shooters. That's why I brought that up with the other question, saying which one do we need? I said shooting because. You can never have enough shooting on this roster. And it's it's okay to shoot the three, but sometimes I feel like we get a little bit too carried away with it in today's NBA. Guys are passing up wide open layups for a guy trailing for three or out to the corner. And I get it, three is better than two, but the higher percentage shot is to just dunk the ball or lay it up or or whatever, you draw the foul. I mean, at that point, but ultimately I uh, I agree with Fachi. I, I think they just play better based on the roster they built here, playing through Sabonis. Now, he doesn't have to always be on the block. He can be in that high post as well, playing a little bit of that uh, that wing-elbow action there. And I, I think you saw it a lot versus Detroit. While he didn't score a lot of points and didn't put up a lot of shots, they were double-teaming him. But if you get the ball to him, he's going to make the right play, more likely than he's not. So that is the advantage of playing through Sabonis. Um in the offense instead of just being a, a five-out, shoot-a-bunch-of-threes team. So let's move on. Question number 12 here on Twitter from Juan Judah. He said, Lavert has been playing better, and he said that he feels healthier. What is the likelihood that he remains a Pacer, and are the Pacers able to extend him next year if it goes well?
1: From what I read, the Pacers tried to extend Lavert as they came down to the deadline before the regular season started. I think it was like that October 18th deadline or whatever uh-huh. it was. But they couldn't agree on terms. Uh, He definitely looks healthier now. Uh, In the month of December, uh, he's averaging 22 points per game on 49% shooting and 31% from three. Um, So that's after averaging 14 points on sub-40% shooting in November. So I do think the play of Duarte may change the Pacers' mind on fully committing to Levert, but also he's got to want to be here too. So,
3: uh,
1: you know, it it seems like at times – like. Levert, he ain't coming off the bench. I know you want to find a starting role for Duarte. I get a little bit worried about Levert signing a new deal in Indiana.
3: Yeah, just a couple things here. I was listening to the Win uh, the Wind Horse podcast, Hoop Collective, like I mentioned earlier. And uh, Tim McMahon wrote an article this weekend about Rick Carlisle and what fallout happened there in Dallas and how he didn't get along with Luka Doncic and Luka didn't like the way he treated others. Well, Tim McMahon was talking a little bit about the Pacers on this podcast, and basically he just said that, you know, Karis Levert might like to have a conversation with Luka Doncic. Um, I have heard from some different people that Karis Levert got absolutely ripped behind the scenes for his lack of defense, and we saw that throughout the season. He just was not playing defense very well, and Rick Carlisle has been hammering home playing better defense. So with that being the case um, and with what Tim McMahon said, I I think – there's Everything points to the the, the thought that Car- uh, Carousel Vert is not a long-term part of this team's future. I think the Pacers probably got an idea of that when they were unable to come to an agreement. The idea of Carousel Vert to me is a much better uh, player than who Carousel Vert actually is. Um, Really, his assist numbers haven't been that great this year. Without Brogdon, without McConnell, he kind of had to run the point guard a little bit versus Troy. He had 30 points. I think he had five or six assists in that game. Um, but they weren't like ones that were just like him being that playmaker. It just kind of came, um, you know, sporadically throughout the throughout the offense. So um, I, I just don't think LaVert is a long-term piece here. And everybody that's talking about the Pacers making moves, LaVert is the first guy they think will be moved. And there's even possibilities where – they're thinking teams might trade for him to bring him off the bench. So um, if a lot of other teams that are in the playoffs might be trading for him to be that sixth man, maybe he's not somebody you want to invest in as a full-time starter, Fachi,
1: I agree. Look, coming to the year, we were way higher on LaVert. I know he's picked up his play, like we mentioned, but it just seems like this this marriage isn't meant to last long.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So our last Twitter question comes from Elliot Beaver. He was the fan of the week last week with you, Fachi, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, shout out, Elliot, for the question. He said, who are your top three teams each that should be looking at Domas, Miles, Lamb, and Karras individually?
1: Look, while that could technically be 12 different teams, I would just say a few of the teams would be the Kings could very well be interested in a big and possibly LeVert. Cleveland could be interested in LeVert. Uh, They have plenty of bigs there between Jared Allen and uh, um, Evan Mobley. Uh, The Hornets could be interested in a big. We've heard them interested in Turner for years uh, and then the Knicks are reportedly interested in Miles Turner. And then we also heard about the, La- the Lakers being interested in Lamb. And the Trailblazers, uh, it seems that they have interest in a big, uh, or possibly Levert.
3: Yeah, so for, for me, for Sabonis, I will say Kings, Raptors, Spurs. For Miles Turner, I'll say Hornets, <laughs> Knicks, Pelicans. For for Karis Levert, I would throw out the idea of Phoenix going for him. I would throw out the idea of Cleveland, like we've heard. And I actually would throw out the idea of, um, of maybe New York being a team that could go after Karras as well. And then when it comes to Jeremy Lamb, um, I think that you could honestly just say uh, the Hawks, the Celtics, the Spurs, the Thunder, the Magic, the Heat. The Ra- I mean, I-, I don't have time to list all 29 teams in the NBA here. So uh, those are my top three teams for Lamb because, honestly, uh, any team that's willing to take on that contract would be interesting. But Eric Gordon has been playing better, Fauci. I will say that Eric Gordon has been playing better. I don't know exactly what Houston's wanting to do with him. Obviously, I think they'd like to move him. He's making about $18 million, so it'd be hard to kind of get to that salary cap. But if you're willing to part ways with some guys that really don't mean that much or aren't part of that much of that rotation, maybe you can consolidate and, and trade some expirings or some guys that are kind of out of the rotation to come up with that equal salary to get Eric Gordon. That might be interesting. I didn't want to trade pick 13 for it in the offseason, but no, not it, at all. If you're uh, able to move off, maybe like, Wanamaker, Tory Craig, and uh, and Lamb for Eric Gordon. I think that'd be an enticing little three-for-one package there just to get another guy that can embrace that six-man role and then maybe find a spot for Caris elsewhere. But, uh, you know, I, I still think that that'd be the kind of route I'd be looking for with Lamb is just trying to consolidate some of your bench Pieces to to make your team a little bit better, but uh, let's uh, wrap this up, Bocci. So this is going to be the end of part one here. Uh, we're actually going to release these on two separate days, so part two will come out on Monday evening, Tuesday night. So we hope you guys are coming back for that with our
1: mailbag. But uh, Focci, where can people find us at on social media? So you can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace Three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore facci. You can find us on instagram at Pacers talk you can find us on facebook at setting the pace and you can find us on tiktok at setting the pace
3: and if you're proud of this little team fachi say these three words
1: oh man <laughs> 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 uh, i don't know if i can really answer that one but uh, <laughs> give us the whole sign off let's go pacers